Here we are. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. I think I mentioned to you last time that I'm aware that my time as your interim pastor may be coming to an end here in the next several months, depending on how the Lord works and, and, and all with the pulpit committee and the candidates that are out there. So there are some things I want to get to um, as your interim still. So I've had to break out of Genesis. Uh, I think we got to the point where I could do that. Lord willing, we'll, we'll get back there someday. But I, I really want to dr- address a number of texts that, that really speak to faithfulness. That's really the topic I want to address to, to us as a church. Faithfulness. Will we be faithful to the end? And so with that, I'm going to Hebrews chapter 3 this morning. And I will read the entire chapter. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than a house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who are those who heard and yet rebelled Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those, was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Heavenly Father, we plead with you, may that not be any one of us. Your grace is mighty, indeed, keeps us to the end, but the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. May we not be deceived. May we not have, not one of us, an evil, unbelieving heart that would lead us astray. Lord God, may we endure because Christ 
is the perfect Redeemer and has for us eternal life. Give us ears to hear, and yes, also a God, uh, feet to put into practice what we hear, that we not be like the man who looks at his face in the mirror and then walks away and doesn't know what he looks like. But may we hear the Word of God, may it abide in our hearts by you, O Spirit of God. Indeed, sanctify us, make us more like Jesus. And we pray it in His name. Amen. Well, dear ones, would you be impressed if I told you I have run in 20 marathons? What if I told you I'd started 20 marathons but didn't finish even one of them? Okay. Not so impressed, right? The finish is more important than the start, is it not? Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Paul is saying, obviously, run to finish strong. Run to finish well. Run to win the prize. It's great to start well. But what is really important is the finish, finishing well, finishing strong. In the final chapter of Paul's final epistle, meaning among the apostles' final words are these. And you can hear that these are among his final thoughts. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come from this world, meaning, he said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Paul, the former Pharisee, the former persecutor of the way, finished strong. So therefore, I think it's a bit unfortunate that we tend today to, fin to focus more on beginnings than on endings. We spend a lot of time talking about getting decisions for Christ and counting them and bringing new people into the church and planting new churches. And these are all great. Every one of those is wonderful. I'm not speaking against those. But the point is, many converts... Those who profess faith don't endure for a long time. They fall away, right? You've seen that probably. I've seen it, sadly. Planting new churches is a great thing, but they don't always survive, but for a few years. Bringing new people into the church is great, but sometimes they leave the church after a few months or a few years. So it's not really beginning that matters. Enduring to the end, that's what matters. Think about it. Adam started well. King Saul started well. Israel started well. But they didn't finish well, did they? Who finished well? Jesus finished well. He said on the cross, it is finished 
Tetelestai. It is accomplished. I have done it all. He fought the good fight. Above all people, Jesus fought the good fight. He endured to the end and accomplished our salvation. In verse 2, the author calls him faithful. In verse 6, he says, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we also are children of God, sons and daughters of God, that we might be faithful, that we might, like him, endure to the end, finishing well. Will you fight the good fight to the very end to finish strong? See, God's true children, we're told that we have a heavenly calling, not a worldly calling, not an earthly calling, not an earthly destination. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through the old gospel hymn. Okay? We share in our heavenly calling. That is our destination. And so notice verse 6. The author says, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And Jesus himself said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. The only real proof of your sonship, that you are indeed a child of the living God, the only real proof is that you persevere, that you endure through whatever to your last breath. The Lord looks not at a great beginning, but at a faithful end. And notice the author's therefore in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then the author's giving us a warning from Psalm 95, the Spirit of God, here's again proof of the spiritual origin the divine origin of the Word of God. The Holy Spirit said in Psalm 95 this warning from Israel's history. Now you may remember that Psalm 95 begins with a call to worship. It's sometimes used, often used in a Presbyterian call to worship. Oh come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. So the Holy Spirit is saying to those of you who are gathered in worship, in the, name, in the worship of Jehovah, who said, He is your God, who worship the true God. The psalmist said, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as your fathers once did. The psalmist is reminding them of a time when the Israelites, who heard the word of the Lord, did in fact that very thing. They hardened their hearts against God and they tested him and they rebelled against him the psalmist is referring back to that horrible event that's recorded in Exodus chapter 17 quick little history before that you may know that Exodus 14 records 
the crossing, Israel's crossing of the Red Sea following their exodus from Egypt. And then in Exodus 15, 1-8, you have the Song of Moses, this great celebration, this praise of God, this celebration of the Lord's victory. And then from there, from the banks, Israel set out and went into the wilderness, and it was difficult for them to find water. The, dry, the land was dry, the ground was dry, and they grumbled against Moses. And they set out from there, we're told in Exodus 16, they set out from Elim on the 15th day of the second month. So think about that. Only 45 days had passed since they had victoriously passed through the Red Sea. And where uh, God caused the Egyptian army to be drowned following their safe passage through the waters when they were baptized into Moses. And in chapter 17, here it is, they set out again and came to Rephidim, and again there was no water. And again they contended with Moses, and they said, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? Why are things so difficult? Are they really asking that question? Is the Lord among us? Hadn't they just gone through the waters on dry ground? Hadn't they seen Pharaoh's mighty army, his chariots of iron, be destroyed by those waters? Hadn't they sang, the Lord has triumphed gloriously? Is the Lord among us or not? They were already 45 days after that event, they were drifting, they were wandering, they were abandoning faith. And so many years later, the psalmist exhorts his contemporaries, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah. He reminds them, for 40, this is God Yes, God speaking. Listen, for 40 years I loathed that generation. I despised that generation. I hated that generation. And said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And as the Lord promised in Numbers 14, none of those men who saw his glory and saw the signs he did in the wilderness and yet who rebelled against him and contended against him, not one would enter his rest, meaning the promised land, the land of rest, Canaan. Not one would cross over the Jordan into Canaan and not one did. They started the race, but they did not finish. They were not faithful. So what about us? We who share in a heavenly calling. That is our calling. Not to live here on earth, but our destination 
is the eternal Canaan, the eternal rest which Jesus gives. What must we do? Two things. The first thing is something we must do for ourselves. The author says, take care, brothers and sisters. We must pay constant attention to the condition of our heart. Now, you might go occasionally to your cardiologist and get on that treadmill and have your cardiologist examine the condition of your heart. That's not this. That's a good thing to do. But this is your own self-examination of your spiritual heart. The author is saying that every believer must give constant attention and careful attention to his or her heart. He says, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and we can be deceived by our own heart. Notice the warning. The people who heard the Word of God, the congregation of the Lord, the people who saw His mighty works, even they hardened their hearts toward the Lord and were rebellious. They didn't start out to rebel. They didn't purpose to rebel. They set out following Moses. They left Egypt following Moses. But the author says, but who heard and yet rebelled? Yes, some of those. Some of the congregation who followed Moses, who saw his works. But then they came upon hardships and struggles and difficulties. And they said, is the Lord among us or what? What's going on? They didn't expect these hardships. And they wouldn't accept those hardships. So let's be honest. We're not completely unlike them, are we? Have you ever complained about difficulties and struggles and said, where's God? I wouldn't be going through this if God was near me. Where's God? Maybe you don't say it out loud, but have you thought it? I bet you have. Well, I have. Have you ever complained about difficulties, questions God love, questions, questioned God's love? Thought, you know what? I deserve better than this. Is it possible for even us to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin? We'd be foolish to think it's not. Foolish to think it's not. We need to take care because, beloved, it is so easy to honor God with our lips, to come into this room and to sing and to participate and to give lip service to God when, in fact, our hearts are far from Him. They've drifted away weeks ago, months away, months ago, years ago. And yet we're still paying lip service to him. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep the heart with all vigilance, for out of it flow the issues of life. Do you know your heart, your spiritual heart? Have you bed on a spiritual treadmill, as it were? I mean, do you know it today? 
Today, if you hear the Word of God, do not harden your hearts. So as the doctor performs that test occasionally, perform your own test to see the condition of your spiritual heart. The problem is, especially in a place like America, we are really no longer a thinking people. Most Americans, as far as I can tell, rarely read a book. Following high school graduation or college graduation, that's the end. Maybe the books are on the shelf. Maybe they're not even there in the house. We don't read. We rarely, if ever, meditate and ponder and consider the condition of our own heart. We don't reflect on where we are spiritually. We don't ask ourselves, am I drifting? Am I faithful? Am I keeping the Word of God? Or am I just keeping my own preferences? Am I deceiving myself? Or am I really enduring? Am I running the race to finish strong? Ask yourself questions pertaining to things like this. Love. The first and, and second great command. Do I really love God above all? And do I love my neighbor as myself? And okay, how does your life prove that? Do you love your enemy? How does your life prove that? What about God's Word? Do you really love God's truth? And do you then respond to His Word in obedience and faithful uh, repentance sometimes. When you, will you repent when you are found out of accord with God's Word? Do you dismiss it? Or will you change your mind in doctrine or in life? Or will you maintain your own ways? Will you trust God? few times of trial and struggle. When you're without, as when Israel was without water or without meat and they contended with God. When you're without, will you trust God or will you complain? God, it shouldn't be like this. I should have a job. I should have more money. I should have better health. I should have a spouse. I should have better kids. Whatever. Do you seek Him in prayer? And do you delight in worshiping Him? And will you forgive others their offenses as God forgives you your offenses? There's lots of questions. Those are just a few that you can ask yourself to be that doctor that probes the condition, that old Puritan practice of probing the condition of the heart and to determine is my spiritual heart healthy? Am I faithful? Because you want to be certain you have true faith and love toward God. Peter said, make your calling and election sure. But if you do that, and maybe this is why you don't, you, you do that and you see just selfish interest and pride and indifference toward God's Word and love of your own opinions, 
Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Wean it from earth and all this crud. May, by His grace, may He lead you to repent. Cry out for mercy to the one who delights in mercy. And God will save you. He says, I will give you a new heart. And a new heart, new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my laws. Don't ever allow yourself to remain hard toward God. Don't do it. Because you may find yourself someday far away from the Lord. And you'll wonder, how did I get here? Because you began drifting like the boat that's way out to sea. It was anchored one time to the shore, but the anchor was cut loose and it just drifted away. Slowly, slowly, slowly. Pushed by the winds. And you find yourself pushed by the winds of culture. Your friends. Whatever it is. And, and, and suddenly you look and you think, wow, how did I get here? There are some in the church who may have an unbelieving heart. I don't know. But there may be. And it's that bad heart that will someday lead to that person not being here anymore. Lead to that person renouncing the truth. Falling away. There was the appearance at one time. There was the pretense, the practice, but that's all it was. Just pretense. It wasn't real because the heart was bad. And the apostasy revealed the truth, the bad heart. See, false Christians are discovered by their failure to persevere in faith. They fall away and return to their former ways because their hearts are unbelieving. It's no small thing, dear one, to even begin then to drift away. Today, if you hear His voice, today, don't harden your heart. Please, don't harden your heart. Take care, lest there be in any one of you an evil unbelieving heart. Second thing is something we must do for others in verse 13. Exhort one another. This is another thing that's usually lacking in churches. It is. Oh, there's lots of criticism and judgment and tearing one another down. That's far too present. But I'm talking about the encouragement, the biblical encouragement that builds up and strengthens and prepares the word is parakaleo, to encourage, to exhort, to comfort, to help. And you may know that the Holy Spirit is called what? The paraclete from that word, parakaleo, to encourage, to strengthen, to build up. So we who are indwelt, indwelt by the paraclete are called to exercise the Holy Spirit's ministry of encouragement and exhortation to help one another. Endure, to press on, to stimulate one another to holiness and good works. Paul said to the Thessalonians, like a father with his children, we exhorted every one of you and encouraged and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God 
who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And he said also, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Christians are like sheep. Never been a shepherd of sheep. Never known a shepherd of sheep. We don't live in a nation of shepherds, right? But we know this, that a sheep by itself, wandering away from the sheepfold, is in grave danger of wolves and predators and falling out of side. They're so fat they can't get back up and eat. They're in great danger. And sorry, but the Bible calls us sheep. Not my metaphor. So alone we're in great danger. But there's safety in the sheepfold. There's safety in a true loving community. We need one another. We need to help each other. We need to encourage one another. By yourself, you are in grave danger. In a community, there is safety. So what are some barriers to mutual encouragement? Well, I just gave you one. Lack of community. There must be that one reality in your life. You can't exhort one another if one another doesn't exist in your life. You must be part of a close-knit Christian community. Not really just showing up here on Sunday morning from 10.30 to 11.30 or 12, but somehow being part of a close-knit Christian community. The women have that community. I know it. We need to be part of a close-knit Christian community. That's one barrier, lack of community. Another one is superficiality in relationships. Oh, we're really good at that. Not we in this church, but we as Americans. Because people aren't honest. They're not self-disclosing. Or we just don't care about other people or whatever other reason. Another barrier is spiritual immaturity. Because when, when knowledge of biblical principles is lacking, when there's spiritual infancy, infants can't, I haven't yet seen, my grandson is, how old is he, Barbara, like nine, eight, nine, ten months old? He can't help anybody else. Except for just he helps me with his cuteness and giving me a smile that helps me a lot, I guess. He hasn't helped me yet cut the lawn. Maybe someday. Someone said, hopefully. You know, where there's spiritual immaturity, there's not going to be mutual encouragement. How about lack of trust? Boy, that's a barrier. Where there's gossip and betrayed confidences. Can't happen. How about pride? There can't be sharing of hearts where there's pride. Because where there's, proud, where there's pride, there's only judgment and condemnation. There's no help. Exhortation requires humility and love. Another barrier is selfishness. You just won't get involved. It's sort of like not being involved in Christian community. You just, hands off, not my problem. Not my family, not my issue. These must be put away. You must make efforts to correct these faults. Notice what the author says. Exhort one another every day. 
As long as life continues, this practice of mutual encouragement is necessary. Because you know what? Any day, any day that practice of drifting, any day that boat could be severed from its tie-down and begin drifting out to sea, and you might be the one who starts drifting, may not be someone else. It may be you. The fact is, sin is deceitful. Satan is a deceiver, beloved. And you need more eyes watching after you than your own two eyes because you can be deceived. But together, we probably won't be if we are encouraging each other and building each other up and exhorting one another. We're on a journey, dear ones, and there are many dangers along the way. There's snares and traps, but Jesus made a way for us, and that way leads to a destination. Moses once said, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. And the life we live as believers today is analogous to the Israelites moving through the wilderness as they traveled 40 years from their slavery to their promised land. And our Egypt is our former unbelief when we were slaves to sin. And our journey is the wilderness in this, of this life where we live as sojourners, as pilgrims, following Jesus, having crossed the Red Sea by our baptism into Christ. And as those whose hope and faith is now in, in God's promise of a land, the celestial city, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. We spoke of that last time. That's our destination. The new earth, the land promised by God. In fact, since Adam, since Adam and Eve, God has had a destination for mankind. Peter calls it a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In Hebrews 11, the author refers to this heavenly country, not this place, but we're looking for a better place, a better home, a heavenly country. So as Peter said, we're, we're aliens and strangers moving toward the land of promise. This world is not my home. So we must run with endurance the race that's set before us. We're not yet at our destination. We're not yet there. But it's not an easy journey. There are dangers along the way. I hope that you have read Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress at some point. And you see that as Pilgrim was traveling the journey, there are all kind of snares and, and uh, traps and lures. How many professing believers have you known? If you've walked with the Lord for 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years, how many professing believers have you known who have fallen away, who are no longer with the Lord. They've fallen in the wilderness like some of those Israelites did. They started out strong, but they fell away. They, they were hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Maybe like Demas, they came to love this present world. Oh, 
such a wonderful place. The church is boring. Christ is boring. But out there, wow, I can have fun. Like the old, who's the piano man song? Or, or maybe like Judas. They grew bitter because of some selfish disappointment. Or maybe like Diotrephes, they were just self-obsessed and wouldn't have any authority over them. There's lots of reasons why we can drift away. Or how about this? I alluded to it earlier. How many churches started out strong but became apostate, became liberal after so many years? Or how many churches started out strong local churches but closed their doors after a few years? Beloved, we are what? Not even 20 years old yet? We're still young church. Will we be thriving 10, 20, 30 years from now? 50 years from now? Should the Lord tarry? Will we endure? Are we now as a church running with endurance, seeking together our heavenly inheritance? Are we? Or do we care just as long as it's comfortable for me today, I don't care about the future. Where's the next generation of leaders? Those of us who lead the church, we tend to be kind of old, you know? Where's the next generation of leaders? Are we raising them up? Are we training them? Are we equipping them? Because what is really important is not how you start, but how you finish. Each of us must strive to finish with strong faith and the enduring works that are produced by faith. We need to maintain our confidence firm to the end, the author said. See, when you're traveling, when you're going to some destination, you always strive to arrive safely. And people may say to you, be safe. Well, we are on a spiritual journey. And we want to arrive at our spiritual destination safely. So we need to be safe spiritually. So what you've done in the past years may be great, amazing, or maybe not. The fact is your past successes and your past failures, they don't matter. Forget about them. It doesn't really matter. What matters is finishing strong because even if your past isn't great, by grace, your future can be. Paul said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this church's past, whether good or bad, it doesn't matter. Forget about it. What matters is pressing toward the goal for the prize, running with endurance, being faithful for years to come. So don't be satisfied with past successes. Don't gloat over them. And don't be distraught over past failures. They don't matter. Press on faithfully to your last breath. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. And then you and I can someday say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of 
righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Thank you, O Lord God, that the work that you began, you will complete. And yet the heart is deceitful. And we only know who are yours by our endurance. Yes, it's spiritual, but it's our perseverance, our endurance as well, by your grace, by the Spirit working in us to work. Thank you, O God, that you have done it all. Thank you, O Jesus, that you said it is finished, it's accomplished, that you forged the way, and that you're preparing a place for us. There is that destination, that celestial city across the river. Many have gone before that, that great cloud of witnesses. Let us be faithful individually as families and as a church, enduring to the end, to finish strong. Let us be committed to you, O Jesus Christ. Bar nothing, come what may. And we're going to encourage each other in Jesus' name. Amen.